Good morning, First Baptist Pineville. We're glad you're here today. Welcome to worship. It is indeed a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And we're so thankful that you're here today. Thank you for making the choice to worship with us. We're delighted that you are here. If you are new with us, if this is your first time with us, we are especially glad that you are here with us. Find that worship guide and take that last panel. There's a perforated card in there called a connection card. Fill that out so that we might get to know you a little bit better. And when the offering plate is passed a little bit later in the service, would you drop that card in there? That way we'll get to know you and we can pray for you. On the back is also a prayer request. And so our, our staff has the privilege of praying for you every Tuesday in our staff meeting. Fill out those prayer requests. It is indeed an honor and a joy and a privilege to be able to pray for you today. At the end of our service, those of you that are new today, would you do us a favor and meet our pastor and his wife, Rebecca, out in the foyer as soon as we're done so that we can give you a gift. It is a copy of his book, The Privilege of Worship, and uh, that will just a, a way, uh, our way of saying a special thank you for being in our service today. It's a special day today at First Baptist Church. It is Louisiana College Day here, and we are thankful to have the voices of LC singing with us. They're going to be singing with our choir. Yeah. They're going to be leading us in worship, and uh, you'll get to know them as well, and it's just a great day. We also have uh, the president of Louisiana College, Dr. Rick Brewer. Dr. Brewer, you are our friend. You are among friends, and we are delighted that you are here. Dr. Brewer's been the president of LC for five years, experienced tremendous growth, and we're thankful for his leadership today. Amen? Amen. Glad that you are here today. It is always a special day when we can begin our service with the ordinance of believers' baptism. Amen? Let's join our hearts together collectively in worship as we do that. What a joy it is to celebrate Believer's Baptism this morning as we start our worship service today. Delaney Summers is coming. She made her profession of faith a couple of months ago, and she's coming today to let you know that she's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and continuing to serve him every day of her life. Delaney? Delaney, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Let's continue worshiping in a great time together today.
would you stand to your feet and would you join your voices with these voices today? And let's lift high the name of the Lord. Sing together with us. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble.
word today. Would you please make warm a welcome to the voices of Louisiana College. Please be seated. How are you doing this morning? We are so excited to be here with y'all. We pray that you would receive what it is that the Lord has for you this morning, amen. We sing praise in the sanctuary. Praise him with the temple and dance. Praise him. With the sound of the trumpet, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his mighty acts. We say praise in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his greatness to us. Praise him with the clash of the cymbals. to the setting of the same. Praise the name of Jesus is worthy to be praised. Amen.
for the Lord this morning. We're so excited to be here with you. The Bible says we should enter into his courts, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. And that's what this next song says. So I wonder if this morning, before we go into anything else, let us just enter into his courts with thanksgiving for all that he's done for us.
are thankful that we serve a God, serve a God who is better than anything else. Amen. We, could ser we can serve him, and there is nothing that can keep us from him. Amen. Amen. Well, we are the voices of Louisiana College, and we're about to take a second and go ahead and introduce ourselves and uh, go a little bit, see a little bit about who it is up here leading this morning. We are from LC, but uh, let's see what else we got. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you all. My name is Park Graybear. I am a sophomore music major. It's my second year in Voices, and I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Hi, I'm Reagan Ruber. I am a junior theater arts major, and it is my first year in Voices, and I'm from Alexandria, Louisiana. My name is Nathaniel Musgrove. I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. I am a junior computer science major, and this is my first year in Voices. My name is Sarah Kelly. I'm from Morgan City, Louisiana. I am a sophomore vocal music education major, and this is my second year with Voices. My name is Tyler Jacks. I'm from Alexandria, Louisiana. I'm a senior pre-med major at Louisiana College, and this is my fourth year in Voices. My name is Macy Mitchell. I'm from Gina, Louisiana. I'm a junior vocal performance major, and this is my second year in Voices. My name is Nathaniel Kimball. I'm from Houma, Louisiana. I am a senior vocal music education major, and this is my fourth year with Voices. My name is Lexi Robertson. I'm from Pineville, Louisiana. I'm a junior business major, and this is my third year in Voices. My name is Abram Gilder. I'm a sophomore leadership and communications major at Louisiana College. This is my second year in Voices, and I'm a sophomore. My name is Faith Gintz. I'm from Pineville, Louisiana. I'm a sophomore graphic design major, and I'm from Pineville. I mean, this is my first year in Voices. <laughs> Hi, my name's Tori Elliott. I'm a sophomore leadership major. I was born in Columbus, Ohio, and this is my first year in Voices. My name is Chandler Higgins. I'm a junior vocal music education major from Alexandria, Louisiana, and this is my third year in Voices. And if you look towards the middle, Backish. Kyle, just wave your hand. That's Kyle Jeffries. He's our sound guy. We couldn't do any of this without him. He's from New Iberia, and he's a psychology major. This is his second year in Voices. Shepherd boy, without a shield, without a sword, fed up with the giant's voice, screaming curses to the Lord. And I walk down that hill alone, with a pocket full of river storms. All that Philistine couldn't see is what I had was more than me. Interpreting his crazy dream. I won't worship mortal men. So they threw me in a lion's den. Vicious teeth were all I saw. So something came and shut their jaws. You couldn't find a scratch on me. In fact, the night I fell asleep. 
story here today what's the giant in your way are you trapped and can't get out or are you staring down a lion's mouth can you stand before the lord or do you need to hit the floor because it don't matter what you've done because the battle's been already won transition here but this next song is going into how no matter what we're doing no matter what we're saying no matter what we're going through in our life let everything we do be pleasing unto God everything we do everything we say let everything in our lives be pleasing unto God let's sing this let the words 
made a way in all of our lives. And we just come to thank you today for the way that you continuously make a way for us. Standing here, not knowing how we'll get through this test, but holding on to faith you know best. And nothing can catch you by surprise. You've got this in control. Now we know. against the wall and it looked as if it was over you made a way yeah it was standing here only because you made a way you you made a way when our backs were against the wall and it looked as if it was over
situation you walked into church with this morning, the Lord will meet you right there. He will take that from you. He will make you a better person. You will leave change. He did it on that cross. Three days later, he rose for us. He saved us from all our sins, all our failures, all our regrets. Don't know why, but I'm grateful. Don't know why. thankful for voices today. Amen. What a blessing they are to us. First Baptist, thank you for your investment in Louisiana College. Voices of LC, thank you for your investment today. Kyle Jeffries was one of our interns, what, your freshman year? Is that right? Before you had facial hair? Is that right? Yeah, that's good. Parker Abear sings in our choir when he's not with voices, and so we're well represented today. We claim all of you, though. Amen. We claim all of you. What a joy. The joy. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to pray together. Mark Burtons, would you come and just lead us in, to the throne of grace, uh, to the presence of the Lord today, and then Voices is going to sing one more song, and while they're singing, we're going to take up our morning offering, and uh, we're just grateful to have this opportunity to just partner together today, amen, and worship and sing together. Mark? Pray with me. Lord, we come to you today with so much to be thankful for, <clears throat> thankful for you, a God who cares for us, and find a way with us and in whatever trials we have. Thankful for a great nation, Lord, that we have to worship you, sing praises to you without fear, and, and thankful for this church that we can come together with fellow believers and do the same. Lord, I pray that you'll put it on everyone's heart here today in this spirit of thankfulness that we should give back to you like you've commanded us to do. And I pray that you'll bless these gifts and bless the giver. Most of all, thank you for your son and his sacrifice. In Christ's name we pray, amen. How many of you know that we serve the greatest God, amen? The greatest God. Put our hands together this morning. Oh, Jesus is the greatest man I know. Jesus is the greatest man I know. 
He made the moon and stars, the land and sea, redemptive man of authority. Jesus is the greatest man I know. Jesus is the word, the Lamb of God. Whoa, yeah, Jesus is the word, the Lamb of God. That is why we bow before the throne, knowing you are God alone. Jesus is the greatest man I The moon and stars, Jesus is the greatest man. I Jesus is the worthy lamb. He's the worthy lamb of God. Jesus is the worthy lamb of God. So that is why we bow. That is why we bow before your throne. Knowing you, knowing you are God alone. Jesus is the greatest man.
It's a quid et veritas. What is truth? Pilate asked that question. Is Christ standing before him, the very embodiment, the presence of truth? Pilate asked an age-old question that people are still asking today. What is truth? What is really true? What is the, as Schaefer said, what is the true truth? You know, there are a lot of definitions today going around in this world. We live in this postmodern time in which definitions are up for grabs. It depends on whoever has got the microphone at the time, whoever is shouting the loudest. You know, it's not about how much fervor you can muster up. It's not about how passionate you can get about something because I know people today on the other side of the world millions of those that are worshiping tiny little wooden idols and they muster up a whole lot of desire and passion for that no it's the object of your faith that matters the object of our faith is jesus christ the way the truth and the life the truth is if i went out on the street today went over to the mall went down the street here and just interviewed anybody and said what do you think is truth you get a whole lot of answers you know Things like, well, truth is uh, whatever you feel is true. That's truth. Or maybe truth is what you believe in, but not what I believe in. And your truth is not my truth. And truth is just relative. Truth is subjective. And then some will say there is simply no truth. Just a couple of years ago, the most looked up word in the Oxford Dictionary was the word post-truth. Post-truth. Listen to this definition, see if you wouldn't agree, if it's not an, ex an example of where we are in this moment in our nation, if not our world. Post-truth is a concept relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Yet truth has been under assault since the beginning of time. Satan, as he whispered in the ear of Eve there in the garden, said, Hath God not said? Even he knew there was some truth. So I've been following the Barna research, George Barna, B-A-R-N-A, for about 40 years. And they do credible, reliable research. If you're in higher education, you depend upon credible, reliable research that is backed up with a lot of data and a lot of information. And they study evangelicals in America and around the world, and they also have taken a serious look at what they believe forms or shapes what we would call a biblical worldview. Now, there's six core statements that they believe are the foundational statements, thoughts, beliefs of those who ascribe to a worldview built upon God's Word. Now, I'm going to share those with you, and I think in this room this morning, I'm giving you a little exam. I think in this room that we're probably going to pass this one 99.9% .9 of us. But as you look at these statements, I want you to think about the person who lives next door, the person down the street, the person you work with, the people you encounter each day. So the number one statement they ask in, this, in these surveys is, do you believe that absolute moral truth exists? Do you believe in absolute transcendent moral truth that it exists, that it comes from God? Do you believe that? The second statement is, do you believe the Bible is completely accurate in all it teaches? And we know that that's been up for grabs with people for many years. 
But do you believe that this morning? The third statement is, do you believe Satan is a real being or just or force and, and not something merely symbolic, not just a comic book character? The fourth statement is, do you believe heaven cannot be earned through good works or by good works? Do you believe that? You'd be amazed at people who just simply believe that God grades on some kind of a curve. That when it comes to eternity matters, if your good just outweighs your bad, just by a little bit, you're going to get in. I'm telling you, I'm not counting on that one because I won't get in based on that criteria. It's based on what Christ did, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That we receive that righteousness through Christ. Uh, do you believe this statement that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life? Dan Brown attacked that years ago in his book and his movies and other things. And it's become cool in our culture today to attack Christ that way. To make him just merely a man, not the God-man he was. And do you believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. When they ask people just on the street, just people in general, millions of people, they break it. I'm going to break it for you in two different age groups today to make it really understandable to us. Those people 40 of years and over, in the general public, 64% said truth is always relative. There, is, there are no moral absolutes. That's among people 40 years of age and over. Versus 22% actually of the population over 40 said that they believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Those generations under the age of 40, 83% said moral truth depends on circumstantial or circumstances. Only 6% of those under 40 said that there was such a thing as moral absolute truth. We have a real problem. Would you not agree? Now listen, it gets worse. I hate to tell you this. Among evangelicals, people who say they believe in the Bible, believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, of those over 40, only a third of those over 40 said they believe in absolute moral truth. Under 40, only 9% said that they believe in absolute moral objective truth. We really, really have a problem. I think it's a failure on the part of the church, failure on the part of Christian homes. We have not discipled our young people. We give them great games, great fun. We have all the great, and I'm all for that, folks. I really am. I'm all for all that stuff. I'm all for all the sports leagues. I'm all for all the retreats. I'm all, every bit of that, absolutely. Many years ago when I had brown hair and I was a little thinner, I was a youth minister 40-some years ago. So, yeah, I understand that. I love working with young people. Working with young people 40-plus years. I understand all that, but we must be feeding them the truth of God's Word here and at home. Quidditch Veritas, what is truth? Americans no longer ask that question because truth has become subjective, not objective, relative, not absolute. This means that your truth may be different than my truth, and truth for one person is not necessarily the same for everyone. Truth has become circumstantial, and in some circumstances... Stealing is not wrong. Murder is justified. Immoral behavior is not wrong. The, this fluid view of the truth 
dominates our culture. In fact, among those under 40, they rejected all six of those statements. A matter of fact, that absolute moral truth exists, the Bible's completely accurate, and so forth. That those of those under 40, less than 1% of millions of people under 40, less than 1% said they believed in all six of those statements and held to what George Barna would call a biblical worldview. In this post-truth era, tolerance has been redefined. Because you see, if there is no truth, then definitions are just up for grabs. Now, Timothy Keller recently said that he's a pastor in New York City, great author, and he said, tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. Well, it's okay, you must have beliefs. But it's how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. Speak the truth with love. Yes. But I got news for you. The folks that don't agree with us they are not tolerant of our beliefs one iota. They're not speaking no kind of truth and no kind of love. Am I right? I'll see some head bobbing here. Yeah. In fact, um, there's a new definition of tolerance being taught by college students in this state at schools we support with our tax dollars, not the Christian college around the block. No, not us. Where simply students are told, you must change your convictions, you must change your beliefs to line up with that person you disagree with, and if you don't, you are a bigot. That's being pronounced upon students in this state. A professor at one of our state universities said to a class of psychology students at the beginning of the year, said, how many of you in here are Christians? Now you know when you're in a non-Christian environment, and you're asked, how many of you are Christians? Something's up, right? So a hand went up, a few hands, three or four, five, six hands finally went up. Professor said, well, that's great. I'm glad to know because I am going to give you every reason this semester in this psychology class why you should refute your beliefs in Christ. Folks, that's not education. That's some kind of crazy indoctrination. That's not education. In fact, the college student survey came out recently. This is what really breaks my heart. 60% of freshmen who started at a public university who said they were a follower of Christ, 60% said that by the time they completed that education, they no longer profess Christ. And you tell me college isn't important? And you tell me these years aren't critical? And you tell me, why do we have Louisiana College for 106 years? That's one reason why. Because we stand upon truth. We reveal the truth of the gospel in every academic discipline. Amen. 62 students since the beginning of the school year prayed to receive Christ as the Lord and Savior on our campus. That all gets somebody excited. And that's what we know of, Stuart. 62%, 62 students. You know, people will say to me, well, Doc, I thought you were a Christian college. I thought everybody there was a Christian. I look at that pastor and I say, is everybody in your church a Christian? <laughs> I mean, you know, praise God that there's this, this movement on our campus. These young people that sing for you today who sing and do this 
about three Sundays out of the month, and they stand here, and there's nothing phony about this in their lives. They're very real in their walk with Christ. It's evident in what they do. But on our campus, I've had visitors come to our campus from other Baptist colleges in the last few years to speak at seminars. And our students would just stand, go up on the sidewalk and say, can I pray with you about something? These two different people, administrators, professors from great Baptist schools, great Christian schools, told me, told the audience, that has never happened on their own campus that they knew of. But yet, there's this freedom there. It's been there for years, and thank God that we still have that. Mom and Dad, your children's spiritual development is vitally important. Students who leave home for college, they got this sense of newfound freedom. Yes, they do. And their faith, if they have a faith in Christ, it needs to be crystallized, it needs to be shaped, it needs to be encouraged, it needs to be developed during that period of time. Paul warned his young protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 20, 21. He said, oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. That sounds pretty active, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like you're going after it. You're protecting it. You're aggressive. You're avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Our oldest college in America, Harvard, began to train men to be ministers. That was their focus, really, their first couple hundred years. Their original slogan was Veritas et Cristo et Ecclesia, which literally means truth of Christ for the church. In the late 1800s, Charles Eliot went to Germany, and he had some type of epiphany there, I don't know, maybe confusion. He came back and he decided that the entire curriculum at Harvard needed to be changed. We no longer need to require the Bible. We needed to insert more other subjects and leave the scripture out. That wasn't important anymore to developing the minds and hearts. And they dropped from their slogan, of course, a Cristo et Ecclesia, and just left it veritas. Now, about 10 years ago, I did some postgrad study there at Harvard. I can tell you, all over the campus are the banners, veritas, 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 great. But I could not find two people there, professors or other, who could give me the same definition for truth. But they're pursuing it. <laughs> they're looking for it somewhere. In the words of Bono, they still haven't found what they're looking for. Veritas, the truth. Oh, just a few years ago, remember the great movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Kate Blanchard's character, Galadriel, whispers hauntingly, the world has changed. I can feel it in the water. I, I can feel it in the earth. I can smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. Those of us here in the West in 2019, we can relate. Something has shifted or is shifting. The world we inhabit seems to become disenchanted and so many of those around us have entered a state in some ways worse than atheism, a state of total indifference toward God and the supernatural. Sociologist Peter Berger wrote recently that we live in a, quote, a world without windows. And for the inhabitants of windowless late modernity, questions about sin, salvation, and ultimate meaning just don't matter as much. Oz Guinness, thinker, author, one of his later books just a couple years ago, Impossible People, I encourage you to pick it up. 
It's subtitled Christian Courage and the Struggle for the Soul of Civilization. I really believe that this book by us is a manifesto for this moment in time in which we're now living. And he uses a term in there called uh, impossible people. He says that we need to be impossible people as we face the culture today as light and as salt. And this comes from a Benedictine reformer of the 11th century named Peter Damien. Among other things, they called him the impossible man. He spoke out against the practice of selling church positions for money, as well as against widespread sexual sin among the clergy. His commitment to Jesus alone was so fierce that he won a reputation for being, as Osginus puts it, unmanipulable, unbribable, and undeterrable. Impossible people, Guinness says, are different people. And different they are called to be or they will become irrelevant. But that's not easy in our cultural moment, is it? We live in a civilization that has rejected its own foundations and embarked on a project to build what some are calling a new secular Babel. It's becoming clear that this secular utopia can't hold together. Why? Because the very belief in freedom that made Western liberal democracies uniquely successful is crumbling, replaced by this concept of consensus. It wasn't a concept of consensus as we think of tomorrow and Veterans Day. It wasn't a concept of consensus to cause those men to take on the shores of Normandy, was it? It was a conviction, it was a belief that we need to rid the world of this anti-faith, anti-freedom leader named Hitler. Yeah, right? Thank God for men and women today serving our armed forces and have served, amen? Many of you here have, I know. It wasn't a concept of consent, it was core convictions. Os Guinness points out that the Christian doctrines of the imago dei, of original sin, a transcendent truth that undergird our belief in freedom, we hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. Endowed by who? Our creator. Yes. But secular modernity lacks those foundational doctrines like a cut flower, Guinness says. It can maintain its beauty only so long without its roots. Soon it will wilt and ultimately die. Impossible people are, are here precisely to arrest this decline, to frustrate the secular project by consciously living out of belief in a supernatural reality beyond our windowless world. Paul gives us another wonderful reminder. It also sounds as if it's very athletic, very much of a warrior, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, when he tells us to do what? To take every thought captive, to bring every thought into captivity. He also warned the church at Colossae in Colossians 2.8 to see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Quid et veritas, what is truth? Rudy Gray, a friend of mine, is the editor of the Baptist Courier back in South Carolina. He said that the evidence of a post-truth society are things like fake news, alternative facts, subjective interpretations, disinformation, and misinformation. The concept of truth becomes increasingly irrelevant or virtually meaningless. The conclusion is that a person has a right to believe whatever he or she wants to believe without evidence or conformity to the truth. 
And in that type of atmosphere, lying is normalized, moral absolutes don't exist, and God becomes a subjective idea rather than the holy God revealed in Scripture. Truth is mentioned in the Bible 235 times. And maybe the right question today is not what is truth, but who is truth? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And no matter how much the culture pushes back, no matter how much they try to introduce other thoughts to attack it, that, that, that thought, that claim stays the same. Paul said to the Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 21, what the, the truth is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is God and is the personification of truth. He embodies truth. And when Pilate was asking him, what is truth? Jesus says, here it is. That those who know my voice, those that hear my voice. He says what? For I have come into the world, John 18, 37, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, as an educator... I got to tell you that education that instructs the mind without deepening the soul is not real learning. That's what makes it different at a school like Louisiana College. For we know that education for us is discipleship. And whoever is educating your children, they're discipling them. Jesus said that the student will not be greater than the teacher. But he went on to say that when the student has been fully taught by the teacher, they will be like the teacher. I'm here to tell you today that I can say with confidence, I would like all our students to be like our faculty at Louisiana College. Men and women who've been called to be there. Men and women that could teach anywhere. Anywhere. But God has called them. The little college on the hill in Pineville, on the bluff of the Red River, to prepare graduates and transform lives. A big idea. But we serve a big God who likes big ideas. He likes to bless them. He likes to blow them up. I love it when he takes something that we think is impossible and he says, no, that's nothing. That's possible. Because my God fights for me and you. Amen? I want to share with you a quick clip of a person that's not a stranger to you. We feel like today, Stuart, that we're in, a, we're in hometown here. You know, we've got a, we got a, a home team, uh, you know, home, whatever you call it, advantage. <laughs> LSU didn't have that yesterday, but in spite of that, they still beat them boys in Bama over there, right? Now, that got a greater yes than any of the truth statements I've made. <laughs> Some of you need to come down at the end and ask for me. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. But... Watch this clip of Dr. Wade Warren, a professor. I'm Dr. Wade Warren. I am the coordinator of the biology department at Louisiana College. I did my undergraduate education at Louisiana College. I realized very quickly that the classroom environment and the quality of the education that I got was uh, far exceeded the classroom environments of many of my peers in graduate school. The education that a student receives at a Christian liberal arts institution like LC is 
One of the only ways a young person can truly get an objective science education in today's world. The Darwinian view, which is the view of the naturalist, it says that we can explain everything that we see without invoking the supernatural. It is unfortunate that kids are exposed to a world of science where they're not allowed to think through all of the information available. That is one of the primary reasons I'm at Louisiana College, because it's perfectly okay for me to question the scientific dogma and allow my kids in my classroom to question that dogma. Uh, we want our kids who graduate here to be thinkers, to be people who have considered all the evidence and made intelligent decisions about what they think about science. We recruit kids to come do faith and learning. Our faith informs our learning. Our faith drives us to excellence. I, I feel like I'm leading the life that I was called to and, and God is just in, continuing to enrich my life by letting me interact with other people, other quality folks who share the same passion for education that I do. I am profoundly grateful for a place like Louisiana College. You hear what Warren, Dr. Warren says, our faith informs our teaching, our faith drives us to excellence. Because there's no room for sloppiness in Christian education, certainly no room for anti-intellectualism. It should bring our best and bring out the best. If we're truly gonna love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Listen to what Kim Landry, one of our students who's currently in the medical school at LSU Shreveport, when she graduated a couple years ago, this is what she said. I've been privileged to study topics ranging from the chemical and biological processes, keeping us alive to the laws that govern the universe. And in every aspect of my studies, God's design and order have been made evident. Many times science, she says, is used to minimize faith. Personally, here at Louisiana College, my studies of science have been a tool to grow my faith. I'm so grateful to have received an education that's not only prepared me for the next step in my life, but taught me to see God's hand throughout his creation. We're sharing in churches and wherever we go, Christian schools, uh, a, a book, an idea called Thinking Like a Christian, that we're encouraging youth groups to study this book with their youth pastor. And in Christian schools, several Christian schools have taken this up as a curriculum. It comes with a teacher's guide and so forth. But it takes a young person through all the various isms out there and introduces to them the biblical worldview and what the Bible teaches about those other beliefs. Because we live in a culture and a world today that says every faith, every belief is equally valid. That just can't be so with the truth claims of Christ. Everything, all truth, all wisdom, all knowledge, Scripture says, comes from Him. And so we can stand here all day and talk about all of that, but I would urge you to take a look at this text. You can, you can see where you can pick it up and urge you to use that. With that, those students who complete that and let us know they have through to Dr. Capels at the school, they receive a scholarship, they become a part of our Francis Schaefer Scholars Program. And that's exciting for them to be a part of that, take us some extra money to go to school, and then have had this kind of training before they get there, because we continue to build upon that as students. There's a little brochure that's there where you're sitting today. I hope you'll take it. There's a place that you can perforate off the, off the end, give us a name of a prospective student. I see a lot of grandparents here, and that's cool. I'm a grandfather, three little grandkids, so 
but if you have grandchildren that you'd like them to know about Louisiana College, put their name on that, leave it at the table in the lobby. And um, we just simply believe that we're a place where students get a wonderful education, get trained and equipped to wherever God's calling them. But most importantly, to have their faith deepened as well as their mind enriched. But the most important question for you today is, who is Lord of your life? Who is the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you accepted this truth that's in Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and life, and wants to meet you right where you are, as we sung about? And nobody who ever encounters the presence of Christ leaves that unchanged. He's the God that brings life out of death. He brings order out of chaos. Maybe today in your life is chaotic. Maybe in your family today it's chaotic. I don't know. The Spirit of the Lord does. And allow God to speak to your, your heart. We'll pray and, and Dr. Holloway will be here. We'll have a hymn of invitation. And you respond as God speaks to your heart. Would you stand with us as we pray? Lord, I pray that we will be a people that, as Jude verse 3 says, will contend for the faith. Lord, many of us perhaps think that we've done our, our part in the kingdom. We've been faithful for many years, and now we're just going to sit back. But you don't call any of us to spiritual retirement. You call us to the battle, regardless of our age, regardless of our disposition in life, regardless of whether we have money or not. You call us because we have a heart and a desire to serve you, to love you, to help build the kingdom and be a part of your kingdom work. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today and, and in someone's life today that you'll bring order out of chaos. In someone's life today, you'll bring them from death to life in you. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.